Amen. Amen to that. Amen to the family of God gathering together to worship and celebrate that truth. Absolutely. I want to welcome all of you at the Cactus Campus and over at the chapel and uh, all of you online as well. And to my family up north, man, I, I miss you guys. Three weeks. This is the longest I've been away from you since I had a chance to head up there. And man, I miss you guys. And I will be out front shaking hands and welcoming all of you back next week. So come say hi. Uh, it's been weird being here. I miss you guys, but it's been great being with you. And so thank you guys for welcoming in your forgotten person from the north. It's been good to be here. Um, as we wrap up, I'm gonna wrap up our eternity series today, but before we do that, I wanna, I wanna double down on an announcement you heard here and, and all our campuses today, and that's in regards to this, this Grace Marriage uh, Conference we have coming up. I don't know what your week was like this week, but for Brooke and I, it was a, it was a hard week, emotional week. Uh, my oldest daughter, who, who's 20, started her first ever full-time career job, so we celebrated that, which was awesome, uh, but we moved my 18-year-old daughter out into her college dorm, and so for the first time, uh, in fact, tonight, she won't be in her house, which is going to be strange. Uh, my high school students started full-time high school uh, in person for the first time in over a year, and so we navigated those waters, uh, but then my five-year-old and my third grader uh, started kindergarten and third grade at a brand new school. And uh, I heard it and saw it and was like, oh, this is awesome. For the first time in 20 years, Brooke is, is without kids at home during the day. And I was like, this is great. But man, can I tell you uh, the hard, hardship that brought upon her of just realizing that, yes, a great chapter has started in the lives of all of our kids for all of them, but a chapter is closed and that's hard. Uh, and so we navigated a lot of emotions this week, uh, a lot of emotions, and I'm so thankful uh, for my wife and for our marriage, we got our stuff. And she's here, she would tell you, we got our stuff. Uh, she's married to me and that, that comes with a, with a high price. Um, but man, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for our marriage and for the relationship we have with each other and the way that we have done our best to love each other. Well, it doesn't come uh, just from wishful thinking. That comes from a lot of hard work and putting in the time and the effort. And so as you've heard today, this, this grace marriage over this next year, four Saturdays, for us to invest in our relationship, really the closest relationship we're giving here to the relationship of the Trinity is with our spouse. And so invest in that. Don't wait until it gets to a point of being a problem before you lean into it. Let's be proactive in this and lean into that. And so it's a great ministry, great ministry this year. A lot of lives are gonna be changed, relationships changed in, in a lot of different ways. And I wanna encourage the men specifically uh, be the leaders in this. God's called us to lead our household, to love and lead our wives. Uh, be the leaders. Don't wait for her to sign up. Don't look and go, you think we should go? Be a leader. Go, invest. Invest in your relationship with each other. You can talk to Bill in the, in the, in the patio right out here today. You can get online and sign up. But I want to encourage you. Will you join all of us in investing in that relationship? Because I do think it's really important. Because you're going to have weeks like we just had, or great weeks or hard weeks, and there's no better time uh, than right now to invest in that relationship. Uh, one other thing that I want to announce, and this one's uh, far less significant, but I know some of you guys have emailed me as a result of this eternity series, as we looked at hell, and then we looked at heaven, and even today as we look at the judgment seat, and you've come up with a lot of questions, and I'm doing my best to respond to as many as I can, uh, but some good questions, great questions. And so here's what we want to do. Uh, next Sunday up at Northridge in our high school room at the 945 hour, uh, it's going to be myself and three men far smarter than me from our pastoral staff are going to be there just to field questions. If anything has come up in the midst of this series that you want to talk about, we would love to be there just to answer those questions. So just know that that's going on. Uh, if you have questions or if people have asked you things and, and you're 
wrestling with some stuff, come, we want to wrestle together and not tell you what we think, but tell you what the Word of God says, and we'll lean into that. So that's next Sunday at 945 up north. You can come visit uh, the greatest family, in my opinion, of the SBC community, my Northridge family up there. It'll be fun. No judgment on you, but everyone's got their favorites. I have mine. Uh, so here we go. We're going we're gonna to continue in our series. And before we do that, I want to I tell you a story, a story from my life. Uh, and it's going to set up the stage for the theological position that we're, we're going to take today. Uh, I was 15 years old, just a, a young 15-year-old. And uh, I had a, a smoking hot girlfriend who was way out of my league. And she's still smoking hot and way out of my league, but now she's my wife. But at 15, I was doing everything I could to impress this young lady to kind of convince her to, to stick around. And so I was working, I had a job, had to make some money to, to afford this newfound love of my life. And uh, I was working at Harkins Movie Theater at PV Mall. They used to have a, a Harkins Movie Theater right across from the food court. And uh, I had my little bow tie, my cummerbund, and my suspenders. And I was cleaning up, you know, popcorn and taking tickets. And eventually they got to the place, they just kept moving me up in the, the thing where I got to work the, the counter, where I sold candy for far too much money to people that wanted candy at the movies. And so I was back there and I would sell candy and I would do all of that. And it happened to be on a Tuesday night uh, and it was the late, late, I was working the late shift. There was like a 9.45 movie, got out at 11.30. So there's about 12 people in the whole theater and I'm working the counter, a movie had started, no one's around and a guy comes out and he has one of those loyalty cups. You know, these cups that you buy for $63 and you get a dollar refill the rest of the year, okay? So he comes out. And he's got his loyalty cup, but he's missing the movie. And so he's in a hurry. So he puts his cup down and goes, give me a Diet Coke. So I grab it and I turn around and I fill up this guy's Diet Coke. And I turn around and he grabs it and takes off and just leaves a dollar on the counter. Now I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm to walk over to the register and I'm to look and go loyalty cup. Boop, pops open. I put the dollar in. For some reason this night, I looked at this dollar on the counter and thought, oh, this guy's tipping me for filling up his cup. And so I took said dollar and went, thank you, sir, right into my pocket. Well, I learned that there were about 60 to 70 people on a good weekend that wanted to give me that same luxury and tip me. And so on a weekend, I was clearing $150 a week just filling up cups. They'd buy their candy, I'd give them that loyalty cup, dollar, thank you, right in my pocket. Well, this went on for two or three weeks and I was making a nice haul. Brooke was gonna get an incredible Christmas gift and so it was gonna be awesome. About three weeks into this, my manager calls me up to his office, and in my foolishness, I walk up thinking, oh, maybe they're going to promote me again, because I've been working so hard. And he sits me down and goes, hey, we've got to talk to you. Uh, what's in your pocket? I'm like, oh, i got some chapstick, just in case. Dry air to dry heat. And he goes, what's in your other pocket? I go, ah, let me see it. And I just pull out a stack of $1 bills, and he goes, yeah, you've been stealing. And I go, well, I don't know if I'd say stealing. He goes, no, you're stealing. You're fired. Don't give me another chance. Nope, you're fired. Turn in your cummerbund and your bow tie and make the walk of shame out of here. And so I did. I gave him my cummerbund and my bow tie and I walked out. And unbeknownst to me, he called my parents between when I got fired and when I got home. And so I walk in the door and my mom and dad are like, hey, how was work? Oh, it was good. I think I'm going to find a new job though. I'm kind of over the Harkins thing. <laughs> and they sit me down and they go, it's interesting because your boss called. And I just went like, oh. And I sat there for the next period of time with my mom and dad looking at me, asking me questions about what I had done and feeling the full weight of my irresponsible decisions and the disappointment on their faces. Uh, the, uh, I wouldn't even say they were angry because they didn't react in anger. They just let it be and asked, Is this, I mean, you know better. 
This isn't how we raised you. My dad grabbed a birthday card that I had written him just a couple of days before, and he began to read it to me, and he read my own words. He said, Dad, you've taught me to be a man of integrity. And he says, is this what integrity looks like? And in that moment, I felt the full weight of my actions through the eyes of my parents. Man, talk about hard for me. I love my parents. I want to do everything I can to make them proud. And in that moment, I knew I'd fallen woefully short. And Hebrews 12 says, a father disciplines the ones that he loves. And my father loved me a lot during that next season. He took away a lot of things. <laughs> and I spent a lot of days in my room. And it was weird and tense walking through the house for the next couple of days because of that. But I can tell you this, not for one second, not one second, whether it was when they were talking to me or the weeks to come, that I feel like my mom and dad didn't love me, that they weren't for me, and that I was not a part of that family. I knew without a doubt all of those things were true, but I was still being held accountable for my actions. As we lean into what we're gonna look at today, I need you to hold on to that understanding because we're gonna look at some hard things and there's gonna be an opportunity for some of us to hear that and go, well, maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe God is not for me. Maybe I'm not a child of God. I'm here to tell you, if you hear any of that and you know Jesus Christ, that is of the enemy. But I think there's another side of the coin where there are some of us, and I've interacted with a few, certainly when I was doing student ministries and young adults for a long time, that fall on the other side of that equation. And we've said, I've heard things said like, well, I know Jesus, he's gonna forgive me. You tell me that, Kevin. You tell me God's gonna forgive me for all things. So I'm gonna live my life however I want because my eternity is set. That is absolutely true. But I need all of us to understand though our eternity is secure and we will never be cast out of the family of God we will all stand before the judgment seat of God and give an account for how we've lived life. And we need to own that. And we need to realize that. And we need to sit in that a little bit. So that's where we're going to go today. We're going to look at both sides of that equation. So I'm going to pray for us, pray for the spirit to move. And then we're going to dive into God's word because that's what we're going to look at a lot today. So let me pray. God, I do. I thank you for your word, for this precious gift that it is. And God, as we look at scripture today, I pray that your word would do what only it can, and that is penetrate our hearts. God, that you would let your living and active word, God, cut through anything that's inside of us. God, any callous hearts, any area of my life, God, that I've chosen to make so hard that no longer does your conviction and your word penetrate it. God, I, I, I release that to you. God, carve out whatever you need to carve out. God, I pray the same for my brothers and sisters here, God, that you would move in our life in a way that only you can, God. Your spirit would be present, that you would move, you would get all the glory, and God, that today as we leave and continue to journey as your sons, as your daughters, God, that you would not only encourage us and affirm us, but God, you would also know uh, that we are called to something higher, to live a life of holy pursuit of you, and for that, you will greatly reward us one day. So we love you, we thank you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, we're going to look at uh, quite a bit of scripture today, but we're going to start in a passage that we have read really over the, the entirety of this series, the last couple of weeks, all kind of culminating in this judgment seat moment. If you go back to week one where we talked about hell. There's this temporary hell where if you die now and you've said no to Jesus, I want nothing to do with you, you are sent to hell or Hades, Sheol, where you will spend some time until God comes back and makes all things new. And when he comes back and makes all things new, that's this judgment seat moment. So we're gonna read about that in just a second and what happens to those that reject Christ. And then we're gonna spend the rest of our time 
looking at what happens to those of us that have accepted Christ. And our eternity is secure. Read John 10, read Romans 8. There's no doubt that our security and our identity in Christ guarantees our entrance into heaven. But what it looks like, I think, can matter and is different based on how we live life now, both for the Father or for ourselves. So let's take a look at how Revelation talks about it. This is John's vision, and this is what he says. He says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them as well. And they were judged, each one according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You sense the scene of what's going on here. John's describing this picture where, where everyone that's, that's died and, and is, is then come back and they're now standing before the throne of God and God opens up some sort of book and begins to read and give an account for everything they've ever done. And anyone's name not found written in the book of life is then cast into the lake of fire with Satan and the other fallen, all fallen angels just right before this. Anyone that has said no to Jesus and I'm putting my faith in myself, this is your faith, an eternal judgment of the wicked. But then he says, look, there's another book, the book of life. Anyone that has put their faith in Christ and said, God, I need you. I can't fix this on my own. I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. And you've put your faith in Christ. Your name is now written in the book of life and you are eternally secure in heaven. But we will still stand before this throne and give an account. Listen how to the Apostle Paul. This is what happens for the, for the righteous. Wicked eternal punishment. Let's give me that slide so we can see it. Wicked eternal fire, eternal hell, eternal judgment. Forever and ever and ever. We looked at that. Go back and, and recap week one. Righteous into heaven, but we will be held accountable. We will be held accountable. And there's also some description of an idea of God gonna give us, God's going to give us rewards for those things that we did in servitude to him. So we're going to look at that today. Accountability and reward. So when you picture yourself standing before the throne of God, what's it gonna look like? Because again, I think there are some that maybe, I'll call them uh, grace abusers that fall on the side that would say, well, God's gonna forgive me for everything, so I'm gonna do what I wanna do. That's absolutely true, and you can. But you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And far different than sitting in front of a mom and dad because you took a couple of dollars from Harkin's movie theater, you will stand before the almighty, all-perfect, holy God of the universe and give an account for your life. And to abuse God's grace, though you will be forgiven and though eternity is secure for you, you will feel the full weight of that moment. And we need to own that now. So if you find yourself ever thinking, I can do what I want, God's gonna forgive me. If you've ever found yourself asking forgiveness for something you haven't even done yet, but you fully intend to do it, Maybe this is where we need to wake up a little bit and go, okay, God, what is it? And so my prayer has been, it will be at the end of today, that as we sit here today, maybe the Spirit stirs in our heart. Maybe it moves in our heart and our soul. And though we know Jesus Christ, though we could sing over and over and over again, I am a child of God, I am a child of God, and that is absolutely certain. Maybe there's something, if we were to be honest before the Lord, and very much like David, 
could find ourselves in this place going, God, would you search me and would you know me? Would you try me and know my anxious thoughts? Would you see if there is any grievous or sinful way in me? And would you expose that? Would you bring it to light so that I can leave that here and begin to live a life maybe a little bit more like your son Jesus? Maybe a little bit more like the son or the daughter that you know and long for me to be because I'm gonna leave that here. Not gonna let, not gonna let it control me anymore. Maybe that's where we can go and where the spirit can move. Listen to what the uh, Apostle Paul would say in Romans chapter 14. He says this, talking to a bunch of people that are judging others or passing judgment on each other. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? Here it is. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. You're going to give an account. Now this account, here's what this account does not look like. It does not like, look like you bartering with God saying, God, did I do enough to get in? You can't. Jesus did. Jesus did enough to get you in. But you will be held accountable. What this looks like, I'm not sure. I don't know if he's going to read from a book every day of your life, every decision you made. But I can tell you this, there's an accountability coming where we will stand before the almighty God and give an account for what we've done on the bad side of things. This is, Paul doubles down on this in 2 Corinthians chapter five. He says, so why? Uh, so we are always of good courage. Why are we of good courage? Because we have Jesus. We have Jesus. Again, go back to 15-year-old Kevin. Did I disappoint my parents? Did I feel the weight of that disappointment? Absolutely, but never was I not a son. Never was I not loved. If you know Jesus, you can be of good courage because your eternity is secure. But... We know that while we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord, certainly. So whether we are at home or away, catch this, is this true of us? We make it our aim to please him. Now we get the, the, the verse that talks about all of that. All of that's the context for this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Most of us have no problem going, yeah, God's gonna reward me for the good. We'll look at that in just a second, but Paul links it to the evil here as well. And he goes, look, yeah, you're gonna be rewarded for what you did, that's gonna be great. Well done, good and faithful servant. But there'll also be an accountability for not just the good things we've done, but those things that we have done in selfish servant, serving ourselves looking at God and going, I know that's what you want me to do, so I'm gonna do this. Accountability's coming. We gotta own that. And so if you're here, again, anywhere, as a son or daughter of God, we all gotta take a hard look at ourselves, look ourselves in the mirror. Peter tells us, be holy as I am holy. Let's match ourselves up to that. Don't fall victim to this looking around the room and going, well, I'm far more righteous than the people sitting around me, so I'm good. No one's the standard except for God alone. We live in life in a way that when he comes, we will be absolutely confident in him. That's what Second, First John talks about. Let's give me this next slide. Here's some other verses that allude to this. First Peter 4, 5, and 10 talk about, look, the, the, the unrighteous people, they live a life of debauchery and all sorts of terrible things. And Peter gives a list and he goes, not so with you. We will all give an account. They will give an account, but so will you. And then in verse 10, he says, look, be a good steward of the gift God has given you. We, what does it mean to be a good steward? It means that God's watching the gift that he's given you 
As a son or daughter of him, you are empowered with a spiritual gift. Steward it well. Because God's watching and we're going to give an account. The day is going to come where God's going to go, what did you do with what I gave you? You can go look at the, at the parable of the, of the guy that goes, well, I, I, took your, I took what you gave me, God, and I just buried it in the ground. Really? Okay. Accountability. 1 John 2, 28, live your life in such a way that when he appears, when God comes back, that you may not shrink back in shame at his coming, but in confidence may run to the Father. There are some, if Christ were to come back in the next three minutes to make all things new, is there any part of your life that you would go, oh man, I hope he doesn't know about that? Shrink back in shame. That's what we're talking about, own it, because we'll be held accountable for it. Can you own it? And can you picture yourself going, never, no more, God, I leave that here in this place, wherever you're at, I leave that here. Not in, not in white knuckling, I'm gonna do this, I have willpower, no. You're gonna puff yourself up if you do that, but an absolute surrender to the Lord. God, I can't do this anymore. So I'm leaving this here. Would you do what only you can do and begin to do a work in my heart? Can we get to that place? So we don't shrink back in shame. Malachi, Old Testament, same thing. Gives this list. Hey, there's gonna be a book. Everything's gonna be read. We're gonna give an account to the almighty God of the universe. Are there things in us as sons and daughters of God with eternity secure that maybe we need to be honest with ourselves with? And realize, like a 15-year-old kid, I know what I did was not right. But now I gotta look my parents in the eye and feel the weight of that. Man, let's not let that be true as best we can with the Lord. Let's own that here and now and begin to move forward in a new light. Now, God's perfect in all that he does, and he knows that there are some, and it may be more like me, um, tell me what's gonna happen to me if I don't do it, because the punishment is far greater than any sort of reward. But God hits both sides, because there's some of us that go, yeah, Punishment, I'm not a big deal with. What am I going to get? So God hits both. Yes, we'll be held accountable. Yes, we will kneel before him or stand before him and we will give an account for our life. But he also says, look, you're going to be rewarded for those things that you do here and now that give glory and honor to God. Twice. Well, once from Paul and then three times from Jesus, we're going to look at it. Here's what it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Maybe the longest description of what this thing looks like. Here's how Paul spells it out. It says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one of you take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So catch this before we go on. The foundation is Christ. Put your faith in Jesus. That's all that matters. And that determines where you go. But once you put your faith in Christ, what you do with that gospel message, what you do with that empowering of the spirit, what you do with that truth is everything Paul's gonna go on to describe here. Your foundation is Jesus. Verse 12, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day. This is judgment day. The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test the sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And then verse five of chapter four says this, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time. Again, the time is the day of judgment before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and who will disclose the purposes of the 
heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Picture the scene here. Paul describes it as, look, there's a foundation. Whatever that looks like, here it is. Everything you do in life, from the moment you put your faith in Christ to the day God comes back, is now building on this foundation. Some of those things, wood, hay, straw, all the selfish things that we do, all the things that we do from an impure heart are placed upon this. And then those things that we do that are in servants to God, in love and duty and honor to the Lord, that are everything in step with the spirit are be the precious stones, the gold, the jewels, all of that. And then God somehow goes and lights the whole thing on fire. Whatever's left, he says, here's your reward. Take this. Now enter into eternity with all that you've been given. You catch the end of chapter three, though? He says, look, some of you will build nothing but wood, hay, or straw on that foundation. You yourself will be saved, but only as one escaping through fire. There might be some brothers and sisters in eternity that smell like smoke as they're coming out of this moment because they are barely squeaking by because they put their faith in Christ and then they live their life for themselves forever. And eternity is gonna look a lot different. Now, what are the rewards? That's always, what, are the, what do you think the rewards are? I can give you my thought. I'll stand over here, away from the Bible. Here's what, I, here's what I've heard. Could be this, gold, jewel, precious things, and they're given to you, either for you to keep in eternity or for us, maybe more likely to lay down at the feet of Jesus and go, here's my offering to you because it's the greatest joy I could give is to worship you, so here it is. Maybe that's it. A couple of guys described it as, you know, Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. He's building a place for us. And so some of us may have a, a little tiny postage stamp apartment inside of God's kingdom. And it's going to be awesome and you're going to love it. But there might be others have a palatial estate that God has built based on the hard work and effort that we did to serve him now. And so will eternity be the same for both? Yes, but will it look different? Very much so. There's another school of thought that would say, no, this is, this is the idea of, of where we will serve in the kingdom. Some of us will get to serve. Maybe for some of us, you know, I would put the Apostle Paul maybe in this camp, right at the right hand of God. You're, you're God's right-hand guy because you were so faithful and servant unto him. You're given this great reward of honor and others will get to, to rule over parts of God's creation and maybe over other people. And if you, if you hear that and you cringe just because we've got a twisted view of ruling in our fallen world, it's God's perfect world, so there will be none of that. What it is, what these rewards are, I don't know, but this I know to be true. God is a good God and God is for me and God loves me and God knows me better than I know myself. And if God's gonna create a reward for me, it's gonna be far better than anything I could ever imagine. He's gonna give it to me for those righteous things that I do in serving to the king. But hear me on this. This is not salvific in nature. The foundation is Christ. The foundation is Christ. Uh, I'll, I'll hit that. I'll explain this because some, some of you might still be puzzled. This is a, a poor analogy, but it was the best analogy I could come up with right now, okay? Uh, let's say come February, this February, my beloved Arizona Cardinals are playing the lowly Cleveland Browns in the Super Bowl in LA, okay? And it's like, it's never happened before and we're gonna go and somehow you get a ticket to the brand new LA Coliseum over there and you get to go in and you get to watch the Super Bowl, and you get your ticket and you give it to the guy and he goes, man, welcome to the Super Bowl. Go in, have a great time. And you come in and you begin to make the walk up those stairs and you realize that your seat into the Super Bowl is the very top row in the very corner of the end zone. And you're looking down on the field and you got binoculars on top of binoculars just to see because you don't know what's going on. But you look around and you are at the game and you're tweeting and texting and Facebook and all your friends like, I'm here, we did it. 
And they're all, oh, I can't believe you got in. You were in the game. But you happen to look down at some point and you notice there's somebody 10 rows up on the 50 yard line. You see people in the luxury suites all around eating food and drink that you have to go and pay for as you walk down the stairs and back up. There's people on the field. There's people playing in the game. You're all there. You're all in. But the experience is different. Maybe that's the way this is going to shake out. Your foundation, you're in a, this is callous. I feel terrible even saying it, but your ticket in is Jesus. But what the experience is like, I think is far more contingent on what we do with that gospel message now and how we live for Christ now. Not only on the accountability side, but certainly on the reward side going forward. So we live in for the king. We live in for him because not only will we be held accountable, we'll also be rewarded. Look at how Jesus says it. Three times over, Jesus is going to go, this is a Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he's going to give us giving, praying, and fasting. He says, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, go into a room, shut the door and pray to your father who sees in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who sees in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Very next verse. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your, here's that word again, heart will be also. Here's why I think that word heart is so important. And here's why I think I, much like many of us, are gonna be shocked on this day of judgment. I think God cares a whole lot more about our heart and he cares more about the why than the what. He cares more about why we do what we do than what we do. I can envision already, I, I, I might sit there before this judgment seat and God's running through the course of my life and he's putting stuff up there and, I'm, and, and I go, but God, why? I built a house for a family in Mexico. Why is that wood, hay, and straw? That should be a jewel. You got it wrong. God's gonna go, no, no, Kevin, you don't understand. Yes, you did a great thing, but you did it from the wrong heart. You did it because you wanted to come back and tell all your friends, oh yeah, I don't know what you did this weekend, but I was down in Mexico helping build a house for some people. God, God, there, every time I sit down in my, in my time with you and I read your Bible, you're putting that up there as a stick. Why is that not a jewel? God's gonna go, because Kevin, you did that for 10,000 days in a row just to check a box, never longing to be with me, but just feeling obligated and like you had to. I didn't care so much about the what, I care about the why. Where's your heart at? So that's the question we gotta wrestle with. When it comes down to what you do, why do you do it? Why do you do what you do in servanthood for the king? Is it as Jesus described over here in Matthew over and over and over again? It's for the approval of man, for your spouse to look at you and go, oh, what a godly wife, what a godly husband. And you want their approval? Or is it genuine servanthood to God? Why do you do what you do? I think God cares a whole lot more about the why than the what. And here's the beautiful thing of this. If we can get beyond that, if we can get beyond pure duty and obligation and have to, there's an incredible relationship with God on the other side, here and now. Forget eternity, for right now. 
that you can walk in love and fellowship with the Father, that you just love to be with God, not because you have to, but because you, you long to be with him. And sometimes our duty and our discipline robs us of that joy. And I think certainly it might rob us of some of this reward that Jesus talks about in the future. So when you do these things, do you do them? Why do you do them? One last verse. Paul's going to tell us again in 1 Timothy chapter 6. As for the rich, that's all of us. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Don't be proud or arrogant. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Stop right here. Read this. Everything to enjoy. If you're rich, which is all of us, this is not shame time to walk out of here and feel like, oh, God, God gave you that stuff. Enjoy it. He gave it to you to enjoy. Enjoy it. Live it up. Just don't enjoy it more than you enjoy your father. That's the warning here. And not to get proud or arrogant or to find all of your wealth and your worth and your value and your stuff. Find it in your identity in Christ. But you can enjoy it, so enjoy it. What are they to do? They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Getting our eyes back on eternity. Get fixed on the here and now, but look to eternity as what we're doing and why we're doing it. Where's our hope lie? What are we storing up for? So here's what I need us to understand. The day is coming. God's gonna come back. And he's gonna make all things new and it's gonna be awesome. And for those of us that know Jesus Christ, your foundation is secure. Eternity awaits. All that we talked about last week awaits us. Presence of God. And again, not to get too crass with the analogy, but where we sit and what we experience in eternity is very contingent on what we do with that hope now. So you hear us say a lot, get God, get real, and get out there. Get out there. If you know Jesus Christ, get out, brag on Christ. What does 2 Corinthians call us? We are ambassadors for Christ to go out and be a witness for the gospel. That's walking in step with the Spirit. Don't do it because you feel like you have to. Oh yeah, here's another thing. If you hear all of this and you go, oh man, I want a bigger place in heaven. I want rewards. I want stuff. And so you're going to go start doing all of this stuff to earn rewards. Guess what? That's wood, hay, and straw. I'm not going to be rewarded for that. We're rewarded for those things that we do just because we love Jesus. Not because we're looking for anything. Not because we're seeking to gain anything. Just because we're listening to his spirit and moving in step with him. Saying, God, whatever you're calling me to do today, I want to do. Are we there as sons and daughters of God? in a world that desperately needs the gospel. What's he calling us to do? Go out, brag on Jesus. Go out and brag on Jesus. Live a life set apart from the world. Show them something different and not just a, a moral code that we live by, but a hope and a joy welled up in us because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Man, you talk about, you talk about God being able to do incredible things through a church empowered with that sort of understanding. I'm here to brag on your son, Jesus, and live a life in submission to you. No limit to what he could do. Are we there? So I don't know what to do. And I, I've wrestled, Rustin and I were just talking earlier. I don't know what to do at the end of this. I'm going to trust and pray that the spirit moves. Because I think there's a lot of us, myself, certainly on both sides of this. I think there are some things in my own life that I know I need to be held accountable for. Uh, and I need to lay down the feet of Jesus. The Spirit's moving, saying, Kevin, you got to put this to death. Give that over to me. 
uh, and I need to own that. Is that where you're at? Maybe there's others. We just need to take a hard look in the mirror and say, God, where do you, where do you want to refine me? Where do you want to keep pushing me? Where do you want to keep moving me? How do you want to use me in your kingdom? Not only here, but in the one to come, because eternity awaits. And praise be Jesus Christ that eternity awaits for all of us that know him in God's presence. What it looks like? To live life in, in servanthood to him. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you uh, for who you are. God, we thank you for your love. God, you know the angst even in my own heart right now. God, I pray that your spirit would move in a way that only he can. God, that you would convict hearts that need to be convicted. God, you'd give us courage. God, you, you know even now my own heart. Uh, God, let me leave these things over to you. Let me lay them at the feet of your cross. God, cover me with your love and your grace. And I pray not for one second I would ever question who I am to you or who you are to me. And God, I pray the same for my brothers and sisters here. God, don't let Satan take our thoughts captive, well us up with insecurity. But God, if there are areas that you are convicting us, moving in us, drawing us to the end of ourselves and to grab onto you, I pray that we would do that. Give us the courage to do that. Give us the conviction to do that. Don't let us leave the same way we came in. So God, do what, do what only you can do move in our lives and our hearts. And God, as always, we will thank you and praise you for whatever you choose to do. But God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for everything that it means to be your son or your daughter. For that, we are grateful. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.